Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Today, we are talking about dreams. Um, Good morning, by the way, everyone. If you're listening uh, on the morning of release, Monday mornings every week. Um, But yeah, let's talk about dreams today. In-depth analysis into this. So the main sources for this episode were Hobson's book, Dreaming, A Very Short Introduction, for the people who've been who have been listening to the recent podcast, you know these very short introductions have been a good way for me to kind of get my bearings as I prepare for these episodes and I'm going to start to include these in in suggested readings or further reading because that's what I'm reading to generate these episodes. So, if you just want to read uh, more in depth into these things, you can just go to some of these sources that I've used in this episode. The other one was Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, The Power of Sleep and Dreams. And the last one was my intro psychology textbook, a handy one by Lillian Feld and authors. What is dreaming? The most broad, general, and indisputable definition of dreaming, according to Hobson, is mental activity occurring in sleep most notably during REM sleep. What is REM sleep? REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep, and this is the stage of sleep during which the brain is most active and during which vivid dreaming, dreaming, excuse me, most often occurs. This contrasts with non-REM sleep, NREM sleep. This, These are the stages one through four of the sleep cycle during which rapid eye movements do not occur and dreaming is less frequent and vivid. Dreaming still occurs during non-REM sleep, but most of the time REM sleep is like completely associated with dreaming. So what are some of the kind of main features of dreaming that everyone experiences? Well, there's hallucination, first of all. So you're seeing things that aren't really there. How many times in your dreams do you um, <laughs> do you kind of see things that, uh, well, well, I mean, obviously just... I guess the nature of dreams is a, it's all a hallucination because none of that is really there. I was kind of thinking more along the lines of within the dream, things aren't really there, but I I guess this means more of the fact that, um, nothing that you're seeing is there. So you are hallucinating (laughs) while you're dreaming. I actually never thought of that in preparation for this episode, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> that's definitely what it means. It's that the dream that's happening is seeing things that is is not there. There's delusion, and this is believing things that could not possibly be true. So think you're flying or you're Superman or whatever your dreams are. You're believing it at the time, but that's obviously not true. There's disorientation. There's confu- so confusion about time and place. How many times do you actually know exactly where you are in a dream or what time it is? You're very confused and disoriented. There's emotional lability, which means there are extreme swings in your emotions while you're dreaming. And then there's amnesia because you're unable to remember some or all of the dream. How often do you sometimes even remember the dream right after waking, but then Maybe 10 minutes later, you totally forget about the dream. And you're like, I wanted to remember that dream, but you have no memory at all of it. So those are the cardinal cognitive features. Cognitive is like uh, the mind and and kind of the way we think about things. So those are the cardinal features of dreaming, the way it plays out in your mind. There's also lucid dreaming, as some people experience. And this is the awareness that you you are dreaming. And most people report at least having one lucid dream in their lifetime. 
Um, I don't know if you you guys have had any. I, I believe I've had a couple where I know I'm dreaming, but the dream can still continue, and I feel like I have some form of control over it. It's only happened to me a couple times. Some people, I know they said it has happened to them. They often experience lucid dreams. And lucid dreaming is interesting because it sometimes allows for partial control of dreams, like I mentioned. So the ability to become a lucid dreamer during a nightmare, for instance, and studies have actually been done on this, improves the dream's outcome. So if you can become a lucid dreamer, then uh, you can actually kind of turn these nightmares around. How often do you have nightmares and you feel like you have no control of what's happening? And that's the worst. Um, and then you wake up, <laughs> you take kind of, kind of that deep breath and realize it was a dream. But if you are if you are able to lucid dream through that, you can control that in a way. So that's interesting. And I, I didn't actually include, there are ways you can learn to become a lucid dreamer a little bit better, but that was not in the literature that I read um, leading up to this episode. So I won't include that here, but you may find that interesting. Does everybody dream is a question we all have. And the answer to that quite simply is yes, all human beings who have been studied in sleep labs do have brain activation and exhibit REM sleep. So this essentially means you are dreaming. Remember REM is rapid eye movement sleep when dreams occur. And when they're awakened during REM sleep, 95% of sleepers studied in the lab do report that they, they were dreaming because the way you usually remember dreams is when you awaken like during that REM sleep cycle and you're like right during that dream and you wake up right after. But if you pass that sleep stage and then you wake up way later, you usually totally forget that because what's happening is that, well, what's said in, um, I believe this is from just general psychology textbook is that poor dream recall by many people is a function or sorry, this is actually from uh, uh, Hobson, dreaming a very short introduction. So uh, poor dream recall by many people is a function of the abolition of memory systems while dreaming because the chemical systems that are responsible for memory are completely turned off while dreaming. It is difficult to have recall unless you wake up immediately to restore the availability of these chemicals to the brain. So the idea is that while you're dreaming, there's a certain... Uh, kind of chemical environment in the brain and when you wake up during that chemical environment you are able to recount your dream and remember it but if you're in REM sleep and then you leave that sleep stage and then the chemical environment leaves the brain you can't conjure up what the dream was about because the like the the chemical uh, processes that are happening are totally gone from the brain. So how can you recount that? And that's kind of into the weeds of like how memory works in the brain and things like this. But essentially all you need to know is that if you don't wake up during that REM sleep time when you are dreaming, you're probably not going to remember your dream. So we now we kind of have centered ourselves in what dreams are. Everyone knows what a dream is, but kind of some background information into kind of dreaming and how it works in the brain. Let's talk about the history of dream research and kind of how we got to this stage of even knowing. And I said it um, kind of, we, we know so much about dreams. How do we know all this? How do we get to this stage where I can just say these things that, oh, it's simple as that the chemical systems that are responsible for memory while dreaming, they need to get, um, reactivated to be able to remember the dream. How am I able to say these things? Well, 
We started with, um, well, let's take it way back. So we've been trying to decipher the meaning of dreams for thousands of years. The Babylonians, for instance, believed that dreams were sent by the gods. The Assyrians thought that dreams contained signs or omens. The Greeks built dream temples in which visitors awaited prophecies sent by the gods. And North American Indians believed that dreams revealed hidden wishes and desires. And Freud also thought, agreed with the North American Indians in a way that dreams revealed hidden wishes and desires. So we're going to talk a lot about Freud here, but the idea is just that interpretation has always been the main goal of deciphering dreams. It's never been about what's happening in the brain because the technology just wasn't at that stage. It was just all about when you have a dream, what does it mean? And all sorts of, all cultures have, and still to this day, kind of tried to decipher dream meanings, but evidence doesn't show that dream, scientific evidence doesn't support the fact that there is some kind of um, underlying meaning to these dreams. And well, why is this? It's because when we're going to talk about this in the case of Freud, because Freud was perpetuating theories that he could kind of reverse engineer. Once you got a, had a dream and you reported it to Freud, he can he could reverse engineer that dream that you told him, and then he could tell you what it meant. And he's not the first one to do this, but we're just going to talk about how, even though this was, Freud is kind of like a a famous individual in psychology and is still celebrated for how far ahead of his time he was. But we're going to use the example of Freud to show why we can't just, um, we can't really scientifically prove that dreams do have an underlying meaning. So Freud believed that unconscious wishes and sexual wishes were kept in the unconscious until the ego was weakened by sleep. So the ego for Freud acted as sort of a mental sensor for unpalatable feelings to remain at bay. Dreams allowed these instincts to remain uh, subdued in daily life. If we, Freud's idea was that if we didn't have dreams, then all of these kind of unpalatable, unconscious wishes and sexual desires would just would come out and he says it would wake us up during sleep dreams are to kind of keep all of this subdued in that band that's where it's like a release kind of a thing almost during dreams but now we're going to talk about the issues with freud's work here it's his work suffered from two fatal scientific defects one is the absence of relevant brain science and freud is not a fault for this he was such a genius thinker um, and such a revolutionary thinker. Why do I say this? Because he was the first one to really, in psychology, to talk about the <clears throat> unconscious mind, excuse me, and 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 dreams, and really like lay out a full theory of uh, how dreams worked and how the unconscious mind worked and things like this. So he was just a product of his time, and his ambition really pushed him far ahead of his time. And it's not his fault that he didn't have relevant brain science. And he actually knew that the eventual science would be the key and he would someday have to revise his theories. But either way, he didn't have relevant brain science to back up what he was talking about. And this led to a lack of testable predictions from his theories. So 
Freud believed that, as I alluded to, that he could decrypt the disguised dream, which he called the manifest content, and reverse engineer it to reveal the true meaning, the latent content. So he could find the underlying meaning in your dream. And with some training in psychoanalysis, you can do it too, kind of thing. Um, and many psychoanalysis did that, and I bet some still do to this day, even though it is unscientific. But a theory, we talked about this in the structure of scientific revolutions where we dealt with what it means to have a theory and a revolutionary theory. A theory, if a theory cannot generate testable predictions, it's not really a theory at all, is it? So you can't simply work your way backward and generate your own answers to explain a phenomenon. That's not what a theory is. So that's why Freud's theories didn't work. In Gödel, Escher, and Bach, a legendary book by Douglas Hofstadter, he points out that it's simply inadequate to conduct only retrospective analysis. Everything seems clear and convincing in the retrospectroscope, he calls it. Everything seems clear in hindsight. Um, and that is not, um, that's not how a theory can operate and be called a good theory if you're just going to go backwards. You would have to be able to take the latent content, the underlying thing, and be able to make predictions based off that rather than reverse engineering it like Freud did. So that's where Freud was making mistakes with his theory and why it was unscientific. So in the end, any theory can't be proven right. If it can't be proven right or wrong, it's going to be abandoned by science as Freud's was. So um, I don't want to discount Freud's uh, influence on psychology, but just in the case of the dreams in this context, we have to kind of, um, we have to kind of put down what he was talking about just to, uh, just to kind of affirm that we can't really prove that there's an underlying meaning to dreams. So what did Freud get right? Let's, <laughs> let's turn it around here for Freud. So his discussions of dreams did correctly emphasize that they are primitive and emotional in character. He definitely got that right in his talk about feelings and how primitive the feelings you experience are when you dream, because now science has come around to show us that dreams do indeed often contain themes of instinctual urges, such as sex, aggression, fear, anxiety, panic, and escape. And this is what Freud called the primary process, contrasting with the tamer, more civilized and rationalized secondary process that takes place while awake. So he really was spot on about this idea that while we dream, we experience very different feelings, more primitive feelings, a primary process of feelings compared to when we're awake. These urges usually don't come out as much in some of these anxieties, but while we dream, they almost come to light. Your unconscious comes to light. And this is where Freud was kind of a visionary because if you really take into account what's happening when you dream, it is like your subconscious is finally coming to the forefront. And it's unbelievable how how Freud was able to achieve these insights. So these insights really were still spot on, even without the relevant science, and even though his overall theory was bogus. Um, so he really kind of was very influential. And this is by no means an episode about Freud, but he was very uh, influential. And some of his insights were correct, but you, what I really want you to take away from this is that... Um, he 
he was his theories were unscientific and we can't prove that there's some kind of an underlying meaning to our dreams um the verdict really that we know now is that we dream because our brains are activated during sleep simple as that not because of unconscious wishes or drives or things like this and that takes us to the hobson and mccarley activation synthesis theory um where they say that dreams reflect brain activation in sleep rather than a repressed unconscious wish as freud claimed so far from having deep universal meaning dreams just really reflect the brain's attempt to make sense of random signals during REM sleep your brain is basically dealing with all these random signals and then what's happening well according to the activation synthesis theory that is widely accepted now is that you your mind is just trying to make sense of this random signaling essentially um so the pons in the brain transmits random signals to the thalamus in the brain which relays information to the forebrain of the cerebral cortex the forebrain then attempts to create a story from the incomplete information it receives it doesn't get concrete information like it does while you're awake it's more incomplete and then the story that it that your forebrain tries to weave together is what we experience as a dream this is why dreams contain a bewildering combination of scenes and people really because it's just such a hodgepodge of uh, information that your brain is trying to deal with but how did we jump from freud's ideas which were uh, i guess that would be yeah just about a century ago now and the activation synthesis theory in that is more neuroscientific well it started with electrophysiology in the early 1900s when adolf berger sudden succeeded in recording brain waves from the surface of his patient's heads using an amplification and recording device that came to be known as the electroencephalograph or eeg the eeg provided an objective tool for assessing dynamic brain activity it was the first real tool where we could uh, assess that there were uh, brain waves and there was brain activity going on it didn't give us very good spatial resolution we didn't know where the brain activity was happening but we knew there was some kind of brain activity happening during dreams due to the research from uh, adolf berger so using the eeg um, and other technologies as well then Asarinsky and Kleitman then made their 1953 discovery of REM sleep specifically. So by going far beyond the spatial, uh, well, sorry, basically what's happening is that the EEG is, um, it's, it's giving uh, researchers like Asarinsky and Clayman the signals and they're able to read that, okay, during REM sleep, the signals are different than during different uh, periods of the night. And that's how they were able to determine this rapid eye movement sleep phase. And then as eventually as technology progressed, we did get better spatial resolution because uh, these initial researchers just saw the waves. But now with PET scans and, and fMRIs, we can actually track blood flow to different areas of the brain. And this is when we can really get um, down to like things like the activation synthesis theory, where we know um, what different areas are doing and how different areas are communicating to one another during dreams um, let's talk about the neurophysiological mechanisms of sleep that have been illuminated by these findings with fmri and pet scans and things like this with high spatial acuity to be able to um, 
see where brain activity is happening in the night. Um, well, what's happening chemically in the brain during dreams is that the serotonin and then the, and the noradrenaline receptors become shut off completely during REM sleep. And these systems are strongly implicated in the functions such as attention, reasoning, memory, and reflective thought that are lost in dreaming. So it's simple as, as this. If you shut down brain mechanisms that support reflective thought, memory, and attention during dreaming, you'll lose the ability to do those things. So as soon as you shut down those serotonin and noradrenaline receptors, uh, you're, that allow you to reason correctly while you're awake and remember things and uh, have self-reflective thought. If you shut those down be, during a dream, which, which is what happens while dreaming, you lose the ability to do those things. And that explains this unreasonable, foggy nature of dreams that happens without any reflection of what's happening during the dream. You're just going along during your dream and you don't even really understand what's happening, but you still kind of just, you're on, you're along for the ride. And that's happening because the serotonin and noradrenaline receptors are shut down. Um, there's also an increase in activation of regions in the brain associated with hallucinatory perception. So kind of similar to if you shut down uh, brain areas that allow you to do kind of uh, logical thought, if you increase activation in areas that cause hallucination, look what's going to happen. You're going to hallucinate. Then we go back to uh, there's a decrease in the activation of an area of the brain known as the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the DLPFC. And this is implicated in memory, self-reflection, and directed thought. Kind of as I mentioned, if you shut down this brain area that allows you to do these functions that happen while you're awake, like, like remembering things and reflect about things and actually try to uh, understand what's happening. If you shut those areas down while dreaming, it's nothing's going to be very logical while you're dreaming. So that's what's happening. Um, there's also another brain area called the amygdala, and that area is 30% more active during REM sleep. And the amygdala be it being more active that helps to explain the emotional lability of dreams that we talked about in the um in the main principles of dreams the fact that there are inconsistent emotions while dreaming the amygdala is implicated in emotions and in processing emotions so if you increase activity in the amygdala there's going to be more emotions happening it's it's basically simple as well it's not simple as that but um but that's kind of the uh, the broad picture of what's happening. Thirty percent increase in the amygdala. All you need to know is dreams. It's gonna there are gonna be a lot of emotions happening. Well, why do we dream though? This is all cool and cool and good. And now, kind of, we understand what's happening in the brain while we dream. But why does this even happen in the first place? You may wonder. And unfortunately, I have to tell you guys that we still don't know for sure. We really don't know at all because there are five, six things that I'm going to tell you right now of what different uh, groups of scientists think the reason is uh, why we dream. And everyone has their different ideas about it. And it may be a mix of some of these things, but these are some of the um, things we scientists think uh, maybe the reason we dream. So it could be that we're processing emotional memories and 
It could be that we're integrating new experiences with established memories to make sense of and create visual realities of the world. It could be that we're learning new strategies and ways of doing things. It could be that we're simulating threatening events so we can better cope with them in everyday life. It could be that we're reorganizing and consolidating memories. Um, and that's it. <laughs> so the idea is that, um, we just don't know. And, uh, that's the nature of science. When we get closer, we don't just stumble upon um, a be-all and end-all answer. Oftentimes, new studies come out that um, go contrary with new discoveries. And oftentimes, it's a mix of ones. And it's going to take a lot more research to figure out exactly why we dream. But um, we just really don't know for sure. So that that was kind of disappointing when I first was was doing my readings for this episode because uh, you really want to know why these things happen because it's one thing to know what is happening and that is kind of cool, but I always like to know the why. And the fact that we don't really know that with dreams makes it a tougher uh, in-depth analysis to have because there's no kind of secret underlying reason why we dream. It just, it just is something that happens, it seems, and we don't know exactly why. It must have some type of a purpose if we do have it, according to um, laws of natural selection and things like this. But um, you really just... <sighs> There's no real reason. So next time you have a dream, yeah, it may be interesting. And yeah, you may be able to analyze that, oh, that was in my subconscious mind and then it came to light. But it doesn't mean that if you dream about riches, you're going to be rich. Or if you dream about that special person, you are going to uh, be able to uh, see that person the next day. Or, or if grandma dies in your dream, grandma's going to die. It could be a coincidence that that it does happen, but there are no premonitions there. And it's just your brain making sense of random signaling. It seems, um, it has, and kind of going along with this idea, it may just be an epiphenomenon and an epiphenomenon means that, um, it has no specific function and it's only a byproduct of random neural activity. And that's what the philosopher Owen Flanagan says. Um, it's just as kind of like when we, like a light bulb, we make it to generate light, but it also gives off heat. And maybe that heat is what the dream is really. And it may be no more than that guys. So sorry to not <laughs> be able to give you guys kind of a, a deep meaning about what dreams really mean. But uh, that's that, that's what it is. That's what science has told us. And, and because we can study dreams scientifically, I have to rely on the science on this one. Um, thank you guys for listening in to this episode on dreams. This was, uh, this was perhaps in, not the most interesting one in the world for me. Again, because that why was not there at the end. But I hope you guys found most of it interesting about some of the brain areas that are being activated and uh, kind of just the mechanisms that are happening and even the history of dream research kind of things. Um, I did want to actually mention one more study though, um, kind of that may lead us towards an idea of why we dream or a clearer picture. Individuals have shown improved performance without knowing how or why, just simply after sleeping, improved performance on tasks. So if they're deprived of REM sleep though, um, they show no improvement in task performance. So this could lead us to the idea that, hmm, maybe dreams are for consolidating memory and consolidating 
dream specifically, we know sleep, we know the benefits of sleep and you do need sleep to um, get better at different tasks and things like this. But maybe just the fact, maybe just the fact that if REM sleep is deprived, the fact that you show no, you show no improvement in task performance, it, it means right then and there that dreams do um, play a role in uh, kind of improving tasks that you learn throughout the day or consolidating memory or learning. Um, so that's really, that's just one study though, and it is only correlational. So those two things right there kind of rule out the idea that you can just conclude that then and there, oh yeah, you need dreams for consolidation of memory. That's just one study. Um, but uh we we're getting closer to answers that's the nature of science um we won't be picking this topic up anytime soon because uh we may never know what dreams really are for if you like this episode or simply like in-depth analysis into a lot of topics you guys please share it with somebody who would find this uh, topic interesting dreams or science uh someone someone you know who who would like this type of stuff um please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on or watching on uh, leave a star rating a review a like or a dislike and please share your ideas from the connect page on the website youtube instagram at insightful thinkers media or twitter at team itm please check out the poems and articles on the website as well and if you want to join the monthly itp video conference call everybody you can support the podcast on patreon whatever you guys do listening and watching will always be uh We'll always be plenty guys so thank you this is a very early one so <laughs> i apologize if uh some of these things i'm saying are uh irreverent or whatever but uh tough schedule today for me to start the week but uh we got to do it every monday morning thank you guys for listening in and no two are gonna be alike some i'm gonna have laser focus some i'm gonna it's gonna be uh super early but um you gotta, you just gotta keep doing it. You gotta keep doing what you love. So let's do that this week, everybody. Monday morning, I hope you guys start your week off right. I'm starting my week off right, although I will be very tired, but uh, that's what it's all about. So thank you guys for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. Um, we'll be back next Monday morning, no matter what, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.